Hey, welcome to another episode of the Create More Podcast. Really glad you are joining me. On this episode, I have Adam Grumbo. You can find his work at adamgrumbofilms.com. He is the top wedding videographer in the state of Texas, in my opinion, uh, definitely in this in the city of Austin. He does some fantastic wedding films, but he also does a lot of corporate work as well. And he's a photographer. And in this podcast, we talked about a lot of stuff that uh, I think is going to benefit people that have been uh, photographers, videographers for a long time or just starting out. Um, how we just how gear isn't really as important as you think it is all the time, how, you know, making decisions on buying certain things at depending on how much money you're making. So it was just a really great, great conversation. And I know I learned a lot because Adam's been doing this for a long time. You can check out his work on Instagram as well at Grumbo Films. And before we jump into this episode, we talk about it a little bit at the end of, the, of this of this conversation with Adam, but I started a Twitch channel where I'm hoping to be able to chat with fellow creatives, not just photographers and videographers, but um, anyone that wants to come in there and talk about creative endeavors, uh, gear, different things like that. And while we're playing some games as well, I'm going to be um, live streaming whenever I edit some photos and videos. And I'm just trying to make it a cool place to hang out and be able to connect with other people since I know. I struggle finding other creatives in the city that I live in. Um, so it's, it's really nice to find, we have the internet now to be able to connect with other people that are like-minded. So please check that out at twitch.tv slash isotaco. Let's get right into this episode. And that's a lot of people's issues with uh, with Apple computers, I think. For me, I like that the software and hardware kind of just are together and I don't have to think about it. I do, but I am kind of now wanting a bit uh, a nicer PC build, um, you know, maybe just to have have a nice solid PC that'll last me for a while. But it gets yeah. expensive too. That's what I always say. I seem to upgrade PCs every two years, but I like to try to push it with technology. See, uh, and the faster I can yeah. export, the more money I can make. So that's good. That's true. Yeah, that new Mac Pro is quite interesting. But is there is there what would it cost like uh, from the PC side of things to have like something like that Mac Pro? Oh, gee, I don't really know what they stuck in that Mac Pro. Um, you can get like twenty core or something like crazy, or maybe more than that. I don't even yeah, I mean that in a while. The nice thing about PC is AMD has their Rise processor, which is sixty four core. It's three thousand for the for the CPU. Can't beat wow. sixty four core. I mean, so that'd probably yeah. cost you six or seven thousand dollars to build a decent machine out of that, right? It beats the heck out of forty thousand. Yeah, no, no, no kidding. I mean, for sure, there's definitely the Apple tax on their their products. Mm -hmm. But I, I am recording, by the way, so I like that we're just kind of breezing right into it. <laughs> yeah, but I'm um, I'm the type of person who, uh, you know, whatever whatever works for you, whatever you're comfortable with, whatever makes you money. There's no reason to get into a fight about what you use. There's plenty of ways to yeah. do things. Oh, there's tons of ways to do things. And so, that, I mean, I guess that kind of makes me wonder why. So why did you start shooting on uh, red cameras? Um, specifically, well, my friend Scott Balcom is a huge red advocate. And I have a, I have a red over here. Yeah. It, was, it was my goal two years ago to, to get a red. So um, before I went to a trip to Japan, I picked up a red scarlet. Um, yep. Because I wanted 4K120. That's the real reason. And oh, okay. Then I ran around with that, and it was okay. Um, I ended up also buying a Gemini, and I wanted that because it was super good in low light. 
Uh huh. And then uh, I get rid of both of those to get the monstro. I was like, go big or go home. Might as well get a monstro. And honestly, yeah. that's my least used camera. I don't use it very yeah. much. Because uh, I, I hear that quite a bit about red sometimes. I guess it depends on the filmmaker, but that's really is it uh, like workflow reasons. Uh, no, it edits really well. The image quality is spectacular. There's uh, two yeah. main reasons I don't shoot on it very much. Uh, reason number one is it takes too long to turn on. It takes about 40, <laughs> 45 seconds to turn on. Wow. Which the Canon takes like a half of a second. And yeah. That's yeah. a huge deal, considering how much um, event work that I do. So I tend to use sure. the Canons more for that. Uh, and the second reason is uh, it's really hard to see if you're in focus. Oh, okay. Yeah, because they're even fully with the manual. Seven inch screen, the seven inch screen's pretty big, but it's still hard to tell if you're in focus or not. And with something like 8K, right. if you're not in focus, then why are you shooting 8K? Yeah, there's no point. Um, it's one of the reasons why I stopped using Panasonic. I mean, it's got amazing dynamic range on that thing. Uh, the feature is mm -hmm. up the wazoo, but the autofocus wasn't there, so just get too frustrated with the second shooters missing their focus or me missing my focus. So yep. uh, focus is important, yeah. so Sony and Canon seem to have that really down really well. It's kind of interesting in that what we do as like filmmakers and even like photographers and stuff, you put so much time and effort into so many big aspects of a project, but then it all comes down to not screwing up these small, tiny little things like making sure you're in focus, making sure your batteries are charged, your SD cards have room on them, you know, like all these little things that can kind of ruin an entire big plan. Yeah, and I would say that the reason that I upgrade my gear most often is just because the... The entire process becomes easier for myself. Um, from way back when, the first camera that had dual pixel autofocus was the Canon 70D. Yep. And I don't know why they stuck it in a consumer-level camera first. I guess because right. they assume consumers need that autofocus more than pros do. Yep. But um, once that came out, a lot of my purchase decisions were just based on if it had that autofocus. Because I, I yeah. kept using assistant shooters who were shooting on, you know, 5D2, 5D3, 60D that kept missing their focus and missing it by like 10 feet and it was driving wow. me crazy. So <laughs> now I can give yeah. nearly any camera to any shooter and they can get a decent shot on it. Stabilization, autofocus, good white balance. Um, it's much easier yeah. for, for me to use other people's stuff with tools. Yeah. I uh, maybe back at that time I had the ADD. That was my first kind of mm -hmm. camera. Whenever I started to think I was going to start being more a little more professional, and I switched to Sony a couple of years ago um, and sold the ADD. But uh, I remember maybe maybe back in the day, like you were saying with the 70D, a lot of pros were like not interested in autofocus yet. Maybe they're like I'm solely manual because I'm a professional and manual focus is how I work. You know, maybe it was something like that. Yeah, a lot of people say that kind of stuff, but um, it's the same thing with the film versus digital revolution that happened about 20 years ago you know when, yep. when star wars shot all the prequels on uh, the sony digital cameras that was a pretty big deal to have an entirely yep. digital workflow when everyone's right. like no 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 only professionals use film film forever uh and of course film has a specific look and uh just the craft of it and the feel of it but you have to embrace new technology it's yeah. like um drones and electronic gimbals and everything else yep. is just making your job easier 
My job was certainly yeah. easier when I first bought into digital full-frame cameras. That leveled yep. the playing field for a lot of people. So now you're, sure. not, you're not wasting thousands of dollars practicing your craft on film. You can right. shoot anything you want. It doesn't cost you a cent. So I remember even like a couple of years ago, like you said, with the gimbals on the full-time filmmaker group, everyone was like, the, uh, um, I'm going to get the Flycam Red King or the Devin Graham or whatever. And then comes along like the Ronin S, even though there was a couple more electronic gimbals before that. But I, I have the Red King and I've used it maybe two times because I got the Ronin S not long after that. And I'm like, this thing just makes my life so much simpler. Uh, I mean, mm -hmm. I'm not having to constantly rebalance. I, I got three motors on there that's just kind of doing a lot of work and I'm putting some heavy loads on there at times. Mm -hmm. And it's just made my life so much simpler. And it, so I think like you're saying, it's important to embrace how many, like how many film photographers got left in the dust because they didn't adopt the new technology and you know, maybe they're late to the game. Yeah, it certainly opened up the entry level for for photography. Um, for sa sure. Same thing's happening. So photographers get upset when somebody can jump in and say, I'll shoot your wedding for 500 bucks. But yeah, well, you had the entry level lowered for you when you had digital. And certainly there's people who have been shooting for 30 years. But, you know, film, film has a, a luxury market now. You're going to be shooting yep. medium format film. You're going to be paying a premium for it. But like I was talking about earlier with um, different tools can accomplish accomplish similar things. Um, yeah. I almost never use electronic gimbals. I almost always use uh, the Red King, for instance. 99% right. of the day is done on that because I yep. can get more shots. Uh, I'm faster with it, easier to get focus, easier to get zoom shots. The one thing I do like, and and it's my fault for not continuing to use it. I just kind of stopped using it. But mm -hmm. the ability to not have to walk around holding the gimbal in upright mode, like you can just kind of sling the Red King over your over your shoulder and oh, just yeah, walk around. <laughs> yeah, but with the gimbal, I don't have you know I have to like keep it in. The, I have to set it on the ground, or it's not the most mobile thing. But um, mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I I honestly just didn't put enough time in with it. But I'm glad I still have it. I, I thought about selling it, but. Yeah, and there was three or three or four years when electronic gimbals first became a, a thing. Um, Freefly yeah. Free came up with it, the Movi. Yep. They had the Movi 10, the Movi 15. Uh, I the first electronic gimbal I got was the Movi M5, and that thing is is gigantic, and you have to have the stand with you, so you had to carry the yep. stand around and the gimbal around. Yep. And uh, and now they're just tiny. Um, but, Did it work well the the, the original one? Oh yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah. And then all these Chinese companies started coming out with stuff and they were absolute trash. They were garbage. It took mm -hmm. it took a long time before the Chinese companies figured out how to get it to balance without the gimbal just freaking out. And uh, now now um my favorite gimbal is the Zhijun Crane. Yeah. Uh, didn't they they just come out with a new one, didn't they? Or is that a different company? Yeah, the S2. Um, yeah, they just came out with the S2, and over the summer they came out with the um, the Crane Three Lab, right? Which is my crane of choice right now. That thing is amazing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I haven't yeah. had a chance to use any of those um, outside the Ronin S. They they do look cool. I like how they have like the the handle in the back of the behind the camera, and so you can kind of do low stuff. And it looks like it's a more compact version, but uh, 
I don't know. Since I, I, I think it would, it would run my setup. I have the, the 24 to 70 G Master on my mm-hmm. Ronin most of the time. Um, it's a pretty heavy lens, but I'm pretty sure it would be able to do it. Oh, yeah. That thing can hold um, like 15 pounds. <laughs> oh, jeez. It can yeah. run a red, no problem. Uh, and still, with electronic gimbals or manual gimbals, there's such a pain. There's nowhere to put them. <laughs> like when you're going yeah. from venue to venue... That's the one thing I'm like, there's no place to put this stupid thing. I hate yeah. carrying it. It's terrible. Yeah. But uh, they're great. They're yeah, so true. good. So whenever, uh, on, a, on a wedding day, so you, you you do mostly weddings, is that fair to say? I know you do other stuff too. Uh, no. You know, the past few years, it's been 50% corporate, 50% weddings. And this year, oh, okay. it's more like 75% corporate. Because okay. the live event stuff has all been getting pushed till next year. So sure. I've been doing yeah. a ton of corporate work. Yeah, um, I guess it's smart to to be not just like only in one specific thing because here we are in 2020 mm-hmm. and everything kind of went crazy and no more weddings, but there's still businesses that need work. Yeah, it really depends on how you market yourself. Now, if you go to my Facebook page, you can see a bunch of my corporate work. I, I just haven't updated my corporate reel in like five years. So, yeah, because <laughs> I haven't had time; been too busy working. But most yeah, most same. people know me uh, as a wedding shooter because that's what I push out to social media channels more than anything else. Right. But uh, especially this year, most of the money comes from corporate work. Um, for the last five years, most of my money has come from corporate work. That's why I can afford stupid cameras like this one. But yeah, and then never use. Well, them. you. you- <laughs> You charge you charge on the higher end for your weddings, right? At least is it for your market? You think, or do you do you charge kind of? Uh, what did you say? It's on the higher end, kind of maybe anywhere. No, certainly not anywhere. Um, the wedding market is strange, right? So, I live in Texas, and I live in I live in the Austin area, and yeah. in Texas, um, Dallas and Houston have much more expensive weddings than Austin does. Okay, um, that's surprising. Well, I guess there's a lot of money in those two cities. They got a lot of oil money in Austin. <laughs> yeah, that, that old oil money. Austin tends to be more tech centric, or um, you know, a little bit um, like artistic, creative. Yeah, exactly. So it's different. The reason why um, those two places have more expensive weddings, in my opinion, is it's more metropolitan, and people spend a sure. lot of money in the city. Now, in Austin, a lot of people. And so the majority of the weddings in Austin tend to happen in the countryside. Okay. Uh, and people don't, people just don't spend as much money outside of the city. So I could make a lot more money by shooting ballroom weddings and downtown weddings. And I just don't like those kind. Yeah. I, I like uh, destination. I like beaches and mountains and outdoor stuff. Yep. So in Austin, I'm, yeah, I mean, maybe I'm the most expensive videographer in Austin for weddings, but, um, I shoot plenty of weddings in the two thousand dollar range when I when I feel like it. Yeah, uh, yeah. I uh, my relationship with weddings has been I've done like six or seven of them, and then I started getting some really solid corporate clients, and I was like, they have much better budgets <laughs> for my time. Yeah, and because you know they at the beginning at each year they set a budget for certain things, and then mm-hmm. you know they've got X number of dollars to spend, and weddings I find. And, and I, uh, to be honest, I haven't marketed super hard for weddings because I just learned uh, that it was a lot more work than maybe I was willing to start putting in for some of them. And I, I just wasn't finding clients that were, that mm-hmm. had high enough budgets for me to make it worth it. Yeah. I mean, but, they're, uh, they're really, 
Weddings, weddings are a lot of hard work. Weddings in corporate are different. So anybody watching who's a wedding filmmaker who wants to do corporate or vice versa, weddings tend to give you a little bit more creative freedom and you have less yeah. revisions. Corporate, yep. you might do 10 or 15 revisions before somebody approves a corporate job. And the reason yep. is because you got, you know, 20 different people in a boardroom and they all have an opinion on it. And even if they're not contributing to it, they still want to have an opinion so they can feel like they were part of that project, which creates right. a lot of revisions. So, yep. And then, like you were saying, um, they have marketing budgets. If they don't spend that marketing budget, they're not going to get it the next quarter. So whether right. they want it or not, they're going to spend that money. And you might yep. as well hold out your bucket and catch some of it. Yeah. Yeah, why not? I mean, I enjoy. I work. I work full time for a uh, a healthcare system as the photographer and videographer, and so I've done hundreds and hundreds of corporate videos at this point. But I, um, I I really enjoy working with my corporate clients that I have for my own personal business. And during the pandemic, you know, they've they've been calling me up for for different things. I haven't had to go out and about too much for for more work. Um, it's a little slowing down a little bit right now. But uh, I, I really enjoy. It. I mean, they're a little more boring too, kind mm, of sometimes, yeah. depending. You know, <laughs> he, you know, you, talking heads, interviews. Mm -hmm. You know, there's only so much you can do, but um, they pay very well. Yeah, I mean, it gives you a chance to control the lighting and control the sound in most circumstances, which isn't really a thing on weddings. Most of it's out of your control, so yep. it's nice to be able to have a little bit of that control back. Uh, but yeah. you're right, there's a lot of talking heads and a lot of corporate mumbo-jumbo that may not uh, inspire you to do more work. But that's what they say, one for the one for the meal and one for the real, as it were. Yeah, yep. Well, with that said, though, I mean, your weddings are, are very beautiful. I was watching some of them even before we came on today. And um, I just and I think and not, not to discredit your 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 cinematography and everything, but you're also like you said earlier, you're filming in some beautiful places and some really beautiful venues. And I'm like, if I ever get back into weddings, I want to really specify, like try and seek those out instead of it being your church wedding that, you know, the, the, the normal regular stuff. And then you have your hotel reception. That stuff's boring to me. I, I would, and I know that involves maybe some travel and, um, I, I know there's, there, as you start kind of getting to higher levels of wedding videography, that seems to be the way to go. Like White and Reverie, um, I'm sure you know who they are, like, mm -hmm. and uh, film film poets. And you're just like, like you're uh, the one that you filmed, um, I, I forget where, it was in a mountain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love, and I love was, mountains. <laughs> it was a yeah, it was a beautiful, beautiful place. I mean, just like point your camera somewhere and you're going to get something beautiful. Um, that's what's that's what's really interesting about weddings is that uh, when you shoot different destinations, and I market myself as a destination videographer because I like doing those. Uh, sure. You know, we shoot just as many barn weddings and uh, hotel ballroom weddings as anybody else, um, but I tend to market the destination ones because I like shooting them. And if yep. you want to shoot more of them, you got to market yourself that way. But we yep. certainly make spectacular films in the basement of churches and things like that. Cause we really yeah. try to pay attention to the personality of the couple, um, capture something that's going to be meaningful to them, not just a slow motion montage. That's really our style, right? Capture something yeah. that, that helps you remember what it feels like, not simply what it looks like. And, um, yep. 
I think that's the difference between new videographers and ones that have been at it for a while, like film poets, for instance, or uh, pen weddings. They're really good at capturing the personality of the couple. And yep. that's what's going to keep you in business. If, if uh, you are relying on pretty scenery or pretty couples or a camera to define your style, you're not going to be doing this too long because there's always going right. to be somebody cheaper. Yep. And, and that's the mistake I, I know I was falling into in the beginning is thinking it was always this thing that would make me better, but it was all always me that may, would make me better and my own drive to learn new ways of doing things in boring situations. Because most of the time you're not on a mountainside filming stuff for sure. Those are more mm -hmm. exceptions to the rule. Yeah. And in the worst possible condition, we are still going to make a fantastic film that people will share with everybody. A lot of people say... Well, not everything is a portfolio piece, but everything that we create is a portfolio piece. I'm happy to show any of the weddings that we've shot in the last 10 years as an example of what our work looks like. Now, of course, the newer yeah. stuff is higher resolution, it's less shakiness, the color is a little bit more refined. But as far as the storytelling and the, uh, the essence of what our wedding films are, it's been pretty consistent. So I'm not ashamed to show anything that we've shot. So tell me, tell me, what is it like? I have not, I've only traveled like on vacation and stuff with my camera and my camera bag, but I've never traveled, you know, like having to fly somewhere for mm -hmm. a shoot, like for like, I'm being paid to travel to do a video production. What does that entail for you? Like, like I, I kind of get a little nervous thinking about that with like packing up all my gear and I'm, I'm getting, you're having to check a lot of that luggage and stuff like that. So yeah, how do you all, do that? It's all scary. Now I have a, I have a video out there that's called It's Okay to Be a Wedding Videographer, which you can find on YouTube, which explains why I like doing weddings and what that enables me to do with travel. And the first out-of-country wedding that I shot was uh, in 2013 in the Dominican Republic. It was also the most expensive wedding I shot up to that point, too. Um, and I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, I brought my assistant shooter, Allison, with me. Um, I hadn't been to a developing country before, and the Dominican is most certainly developing. Sure. Flew into uh, Santiago, which is um, a larger city on, towards the north coast. I spoke a little bit of Spanish, but I flew into the country assuming that, you know, I could get maps and use GPS, use my cell phone to get to the venue, which was a three hour drive away from the airport. Right. But it was rough. When we got to the airport, um, it's totally different. The cars, the, they give you the cars with no gas. Uh, it's the smallest, most beat up car you've ever seen in your entire life. <laughs> there's no road signs anywhere and there's no cell phone service. So wow. I had to stop every 15 minutes, practice my Spanish on the locals and ask them, how do I get to this place? Where do I go? And, you know, little by little, uh, they directed us to the appropriate place and, Probably four and a half hours later, we finally got to the venue. And uh, wow. it's a it's a character building experience when you do that, especially when you're taking yeah. somebody's daughter with you who were we've been shooting a few weddings together um, to a foreign country with seemingly no plan. It's a lot more refined yeah. of a plan now. Um, yeah. But we got to the venue. Um, the venue knew we were coming. They prepared us meals. They set us up in these amazing cabanas that overlook the ocean 
Woke up in the morning to the beautiful sunrise. Somebody brought us coffee and breakfast. Easily the best thing ever. And I've shot nice. back at that venue a half dozen times. It's addicting shooting destination weddings. It's so scary. You don't know if I you're going to get robbed. You don't know if you're going to uh, lose all your gear on the way to the wedding. Lucky for me, none of that has happened yet. But uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, go to dozens of countries constantly. Um, work outside of your comfort zone for certain. You don't. Sure. You don't want to. You don't want to be naive to the point where you put yourself in danger. But right. you have to experience what other cultures are like. And, uh, sure. I, I mean, I don't want to get political or anything like that. But a lot of the people who are upset about what America is right now. I've probably never been outside of the country. Yeah. If yeah, you go, if you go outside of the country and see how other people live and their levels of happiness and gratitude with the little amount they have, when you, you come back to America, you're like, wow, this, this country is really, really beautiful and filled yeah. with opportunities. I mean, something that yeah. immig immigrants understand when they come here. I had a group, uh, we went to Baja, California on like a missions trip and uh, like five years ago now. Mm. And, um, you know, it was we, where we were at was, you know, really, really poor. I think it's uh, Rosarito, Mexico. Uh, so it's on that little tail of where Mexico is, like under San Diego. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, just seeing that how these people were just so happy and they're standing in like a tin shed and... You know, they don't have running water and all these things. And it made a lot of us, it took us a while when we got back to the States to not be bitter at how we live here and how people take for granted so much of what we have. It's true. Um, it's kind of it's rough. Yeah, we have it so good here. I mean, obviously, there's things that could always be improved, but we have it so good here. Uh, and that's, that's the nice thing about being a videographer is the opportunities that are afforded people to start a business in the United States, it's yeah. absolutely the best time in all of human history to do this in the best country yeah. humanly possible. Yep. So when I see absolutely. people complaining that they, they don't have uh, enough job or enough money or enough opportunities or my town is too small, that's crazy. Because yeah. the, the internet alone allows you to learn anything that you want to learn and collaborate sure. with anybody on the planet Earth. And anybody could wake up in the morning and go out, beat the streets, and you could easily book $500 of gigs just by putting in a tiny bit of effort. Yeah. And meanwhile, these guys in uh, Baja Mexico or Dominican Republic or Haiti, or um, they couldn't do anything to get 30 bucks in a day because yeah. the economy is not there. Right. And the jobs aren't there. But in America, in the United States, it really is there. Yeah, everyone's just trying to survive there. You know, they're, they're just trying to make sure they're fed and they have water and all the basic, basic things. Uh, I'm sure they find happiness in other ways. But mm -hmm. And then here we are living in unbelievable excess of food, water, shelter, everything, you know, and, and then we all we still find ways to complain about, you know, what we don't have or the business we're not getting or, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And not to say that there aren't people who are in a situation that prevents them from being successful, because certainly there are. Sure. Uh, due sure. To, to health or family circumstances or, or something like that. I mean, if you've got five kids and 
no job, you certainly can't go outside and try to find money that way. However, the average person who's in full-time filmmakers or somebody graduating from high school, you could rent a camera for $50 and turn it into $1,000 that same day yeah. with a tiny amount of skills. Just requires yeah. a little bit of ambition. Yep. Yeah, I think that's what that's what I liked about Full Time Filmmaker when I first got it, uh, almost three, two, three years ago now. Is how he, you know, he did a great job of explaining like here's the kind of the basic things you need to know, put them into practice, and you can start making money. You know what I mean? And you just go to Best Buy and buy a camera <laughs> mm -hmm. and get going. You know, and I that's why I try and encourage some people on in the group, like the newer the newer people and. Uh, there, I, I get like getting all wrapped up in the gear and stuff like that, but you know, that's, that's you can really fun. It is part of the fun, it, and I love gear so much. But uh, I, you know, I've spent a lot of money on gear, but um, and I love talking about gear and, and new things coming out. And uh, but you, you, you don't need all that stuff before you can start making money. Yeah, you, need, you probably don't need any of that yeah. stuff. There's people in full time yeah. filmmaker who are are crushing it with just their cell phone iPhone 6 yeah. or something like that. Not a new cell phone. Yeah. Because there's tools to yeah. get it done. And when you travel outside of the United States to see what other people live like, especially in developing countries, you'll see that, yeah, they figure out how to get it done with what they have. Right. And that's the advice I'd give anybody. Um, do what you can with what you have and stop making Absolutely. excuses. Um, because as they say, um, you can come up with any excuse and uh, whether you believe it's true or not true, then it certainly is. Whenever you shoot, are, are you shooting, um, you said you don't touch the red a whole lot these days, so you're not using that on weddings? No, it's silly on weddings for, for a number of reasons. Um, on weddings, there's a lot of times where I'm leaving my camera in different places while I go do something else. Um, yeah, it's always I'm, scary. I wouldn't want to be leaving a $70,000 camera sitting around while I do that. And number two, it, yeah, just, it takes too long to turn on. Yeah, um, I didn't know it took that long. I didn't had no idea it was that long. It's like a computer boot up from like the eighties. Yeah, it really is a computer boot up because it has to you know check all the systems and make sure they're all working and um, calibrate itself, which is totally fine sure. on a on a set when you have to spend three hours, yeah, just getting the lighting correct or doing makeup or something. And on set, you generally speaking just leave the camera on the entire day. Sure. Um, so it's not really designed for event shooting although every ces yeah. i see people running around with reds <laughs> like yeah that. seems a like a monopod excessive. like what yeah. are you guys doing then but yeah. Yeah. anybody you can do whatever you want do whatever you want guys <laughs> have fun I, I at my at work i have a c200 and that's my first cinema camera and i really other than it being 8-bit and you know the other super 35 and stuff like that i i really enjoy cinema cameras with the xlrs built in I ha I know I know how to change it up to be a nice little documentary setup, and I can throw a teleprompter on it. I have to do that quite a bit. I have to do that in the morning, actually, mm -hmm. um, and it's just very versatile. Um, so I I'm, I would love to get like for me since I'm a Sony shooter and I have a lot of Sony lenses, I uh, want to get the FX9. But um, I could totally see people with that that C500, the new one that just came out, and the C300 that just came out. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're fantastic cameras. We live in a crazy time, and people say, "Wow, fifteen thousand dollars, ten thousand, twenty. If you're to me, and you know, like if you're a working professional like this, that's that's money well spent. You know, you're going to get that money back pretty quickly. 
Yeah, as long as you are not buying gear in hopes that it will bring you jobs, because that is never going to happen. You don't buy right, gear yeah. and then think that jobs are going to come. You get your jobs, right. and after you've had enough jobs, then you get gear that makes your job simpler or that pushes you to a different level. Um, sure. A C200 is a great camera. I had that for two years. Uh, I got rid of that to help finance the red. Um, yep. But, I mean... 8-bit, 10-bit, 16-bit, doesn't really matter. You can get so much done. Yeah. Um, oh, for sure. This is a, Most of my career, I've all been 8-bit. I got this, the uh, A7S three coming in um, and when it, next month, and that'll be my first 10-bit camera. Yeah. Yeah, I think people get too caught up on specs or tiny little rules or complain too much about dynamic range or something like that. Like, dynamic range is... It's not as much of an issue if you actually light something. Yeah. Uh, too many people are stumbling around trying to find something that they can point their camera at. Uh, if they take the time to create something that they can point their camera at, they're going to find more jobs, I think. Because yep. any bozo with a camera can point it at something. Right. Or can you create yep. something with it? My mm -hmm. my passion of this uh, this year and a little bit of last year was just getting better lighting um, and making sure that and not just getting the lights but learning how to shape it and uh, just figuring all there's so much you can do with such minimal amounts of lighting. Um, now I've you know I've got a aperture 120d and a 300d two and all these things that make my life easier. But I'm not getting them. I didn't get them to uh, now I'm a, I'm a professional. I got them because they make me more efficient. You know, and since I'm a solo shooter. Yeah, something that's going to make my job run smoother is why I like to upgrade gear. So I ended up getting right. three of the R5s. And the main reason I got the R5s were because it had image stabilization. Sure. And uh, unparalleled autofocus. Uh, this is actually yeah. being shot on an R5. And, uh, and the second reason was because it does 8K video and it would pair really well with the, with the RED. Yeah, um, have you done that test yet? Have you have you put them A B cams and seen how they match up or anything yet? Um, I haven't taken the time to do that. They're both yeah. absolutely stellar picture quality. Um, I've shot more with the Canon than I have with the Red because it's just faster ingest and offload. And as far as yeah. I can tell, I know. So the the Monstro is supposed to have eighteen stops at dynamic range. That's mm -hmm. insane. And then the yeah. R5 is supposed to have like 12 or 13. But to my naked eye, it's, you can't tell. You would have to put it yeah. into a situation uh, that was very difficult for the Canon or any camera to notice a difference. And that's the thing. Like most of the time, almost yeah. all of the time, it's not going to need 18 stops at dynamic range. No. Or no. A, a raw functionality 16-bit color or anything like that i mean whenever you're on like a movie set or something like that where they are creating the light in the atmosphere and they know what their dynamic range is so they know they have really deep dark areas of, of the of the composition and then really bright you know so they're really showing off these contrasting situations but for most of us i think specs are just kind of they're nice to know but yeah and even not that the goal. Uh, i don't think hollywood pays as much attention to that in most of the movies that you think. Yeah, um, probably not. So, for instance, I go to Masters in Motion here in Austin, which is a fantastic conference where they bring in Hollywood DPs, Hollywood editors, script writers, set designers, art department, 
They'll work on major, major films. And you can just talk to them, ask them questions, and then show you what their process is. And you'd be surprised at how many people, um, certain people are up there uh, with light meters, making sure the ratios are perfect and writing it in a book to make sure they can redo it. But a lot of the DPs, even the ones with Academy Awards, are like, well, I just I just make it till it looks right, and then we film it. Yep. <laughs> and they don't pay attention to any of the specs about ISO or um, different... Yeah, it's like, wow. Even the editors, they, they're not like some super genius editor that goes... And it has the perfect thing. They're just like, I'll just drag this over here. Press play, see if it works. They're very slow, very deliberate. I'm like, wow, I thought you guys were some sort of crazy geniuses that knew things that nobody else could understand. But most of what they do is just the experience meets their gut instinct. If it feels right, they go with that. They don't get all caught up trying to make some kind of engineering project on a film set. Yeah, let's see. It's too complicated. Like uh, whenever after I watched uh, 1918, and um, I watched a lot of the behind the scenes stuff with Roger Deakins and stuff, and he, you know he was they they shot it most of it. I think almost all of it on the uh, Area Alexa Mini LF, um, and then which is you know just a crazy insane camera. And then he was talking about his lens choices and and the um, the different things, the contraptions that they use. And what's that new? Is it the the Trinity? Isn't it called the Trinity, the uh, stabilization thing that's like you can kind of point it forward and stuff like that? Like unbelievable. So it looks like one continuous take. Yeah. And uh, it is kind of interesting, the gap from like the stuff that we do as videographers and stuff to jumping up to that level of professionality and stuff like that. They have some amazing stuff going on that they they cost like crazy, crazy amounts of money, but they have the experience and how many people it takes to create a production like that is insane as well. Absolutely. At the same time, however, you can take what I have in this very room and make something very similar. I'm not talking about the movie, but you can yeah. make, make the look of it very similar. And 20 years ago, that was impossible. Impossible. You couldn't do sure. anything to make it look like a movie because it would yeah. always look like video. Yeah. And unless you filmed it on a movie camera that was mostly out of the budget, send it off to a film lab that was out of your budget. And now you can you can do that kind of stuff with a $1,000 camera and make it look very similar. I'm not, talking, I'm not talking about the whole movie, but the look and feel. Yeah. Like with the uh, the Canon SL2 and some good lighting. And I mean, you you look like you're on the R5 or whatever else, you know? Yeah. It's like the tools are there. Certain situations where you would be able to notice those differences, but and again, like 8K, you're going to be able to punch in pretty much as much as you want and still have an amazing picture quality. So, I mean, it just depends on your use case for cameras like that. Yeah, so it's it's strange to get caught up in the weeds um, when you could be just making stuff. So, for yep. instance, like we talked about a developing country and being satisfied. It's the same thing. You have every tool you could possibly dream of to make anything that you want to. Yet you're yep. still going to sit here and argue about some tiny speck on yep. some camera that upsets you. Like, no, no. Every camera out there is a dream come true if you open up your eyes and look at it that way. You can right. do anything that you want with basically any camera in existence right now. And, and you want to sit and complain? That's crazy. I know. 
And it's it's interesting, like you were saying about you know getting business and stuff like that. That's kind of too why I'm, I'm doing a podcast like this, and I'm doing a Twitch uh, channel, and I, not that I'm trying to become like a. a you know, famous star on any of those platforms. Uh, I could do stuff on YouTube as well, but I, I'm just trying to make my own way. You know what I mean? I hope, I hope I've been in the corporate world for 13 years. I do like my job. I work with great people, but I do hope to one day not be under that corporate thumb of, you know, your, your cap of, of your earning potential is only so much in those, those places. And, you know, there's the bureaucracy you got to deal with in the meetings and the decisions by committee and all that kind Kind of stuff. So I, you know, you look at people like, you know, extreme example, like Joe Rogan, who does what he loves, sets his own schedule, doesn't, doesn't care about what anybody else says. That's the kind of life that I really look to attain. And he worked really hard to get where he is, but, um, and no, nothing like that comes without a lot of hard work. But for me, I enjoy doing stuff like this podcast and YouTube and Twitch. And if it hits, it hits. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But it would be very dumb of me in this age, like you were saying in 2020, with all of these digital things that we have that can create money for ourselves. And even if maybe you don't, maybe you don't want to make money doing it. Maybe you just want to do it for fun and for a hobby. It's kind of dumb to just sit on your hands and, and, and not take advantage with everything around us. It's maybe the most frustrating thing about the Internet is um, you already have every tool you need, yet people yep. will still say, when does this camera come out? When does that camera come out? Whenever this camera <laughs> comes out, I'm finally going to be able to make some money. I'm finally going to be able to make this project I already wanted to. Like, that's, that's outrageous. In 2008, when the digital large sensor came out, that was your last excuse. Now you can make things on par with Hollywood. Without, I mean, just think about it. You could take these cameras and make your own news studio like Joe Rogan and compete with the largest news organizations on planet Earth Yeah, with your cell phone. People are doing that now. It's like, whatever, what, other, what other time in history can you compete with the world's largest, richest companies Yep, just by yourself with something as small as a cell phone? It yeah. literally can happen right now. Do not wait go for back another and, camera. <laughs> go back and look at uh, like the original Joe Rogan podcast like from 10 years ago. It was nothing. He said they barely had anybody watching. The camera quality was terrible. You know, and that show was built itself over having the right people on and interviewing big names and all that kind of thing. But it just kind of shows you that, you know, you don't have to start out grandiose in order to achieve success in certain things. You don't have to. Yeah. Uh, any Anybody on the Internet is a perfect example of that. Devin Supertramp. Had a glide yeah. cam, went and shot people having fun, doing fun things, looking like fun. Uh, made a huge name for himself. Yeah, um, I used to love watching his videos. Same, same with Parker. Parker's yep. like, uh, how can I contribute? How can I help? How can I let people? Uh, and that, well, then he is uh, like, wow, this is great. I want to share this experience with other people. Let me show you exactly sure. how I did it. And nobody's yep. opened up the doors into a process like he's done before. I'm certainly he, he uh, built it a little bit on the way and filled in some of the gaps with some knowledge that he didn't yet have by researching it and then marketing mm -hmm. it perfectly. Yep. But uh, not being closed off like other people gave him the success he's got now. Yeah. By being and Parker Walbeck's a great example for people who don't know. That's the creator, full-time filmmaker, and um, I, you know, I, I think I, I'm really. Not envious is the wrong word because I don't want to be envious of anybody, but like 
uh, he has created something again, like Joe Rogan created his own way. You know, he's making great money now with, through this course. He's hired on more people. It's his own thing. I'm sure he can go into work at 11 a.m. if he wanted to and, you know, work till 12 or whatever he wants to do. He's not under some sort of a, a structure. And I guess that's just been on my mind a lot lately of like, it just seems weird that as humans, we're stuck, a lot of us working a nine to five, you know, where, with these certain periods of time and you have to show up to this place to get your paycheck. And there's a lot of security in it. But um, from in my head, it's just, it's kind of antithetical to who I want to be, I guess. That's true. But the power is in your hands. Um, Brian Tracy tells a story about a guy who goes to work at a construction site. And lunch break hits, and the three guys all line up, and they open their sandwiches. Sorry, this uh, somebody's ringing good. my doorbell. <laughs> yeah, I uh, recognize the sound as soon as it went off. So all the guys hit lunch break, and they go set out on the construction site, open up their lunches, and one guy opens up. Oh, what do you have? Oh, I have ham. What do you have? Oh, I've got turkey sandwich. What do you have? Well, I've got a sardine sandwich. What luck. So he eats his sardine sandwich. The next day, he opens it up. Sardine sandwich again. What do you have? Oh, ham? I got turkey? Okay. The third day, he says, if I open this lunchbox and there's a sardine sandwich in here, I'm going to jump off this construction site. He opens it up. <laughs> sardine sandwich. Takes a leap. Dies. The other guy's, what's his problem? Well, he had a sardine sandwich. Well, why didn't he just have his wife pack him something else? Oh, he didn't. He makes his own sandwiches. <laughs> so the the point of that story is we're all making our own lunch, and then we complain yeah. about it. That's it's right. It's like, uh, who slept in till 11 o'clock today? You did. Who spent the money on a new camera that you couldn't afford? You did. Did you go out <laughs> and look for all these new gigs to get you more expensive gigs? Did you accept that wedding for $1,000 and then complain about it because you didn't get paid enough? You're making your own lunch, and then you're turning around and complaining about it. Right. If, That's if you, absolutely true. And I know you, I've done that before. If you uh, are jealous of the photographer making more money and doing less work, become a photographer. Yeah. Um, it's up to you. Do whatever you want to do, but don't complain about it. You're in that situation yeah. because you put yourself there. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I'm also a photographer and I've, I've never shot a wedding uh with photography but i'm kind of interested in it a little bit but i like doing more portrait work uh with my photography um you know i do headshots and stuff like that too but i uh i do find it interesting how much money a lot of photographers make and you know they, it's just the nature of the market that's it is what it is I, I know some really fantastic wedding photographers but um it is interesting they always choose the, uh, photos rather than video if they have a choice between the two it's the market right now. Um, at the same time, most of my wedding photographer friends are starving right now. And you know why that is? Because COVID turned off all of the event work. And you That's know right. where all that event work went to? Corporate videographers. Yeah. Because yeah. you still need to sell your product. You still need to uh, create these virtual spaces to share the information. And you cannot share that information with a photograph. Yep. That's right. Um, and the same thing with... Wedding photographers, because I, I shoot a decent amount of wedding photos, too. Because um, they make money by selling the photographs. They make money by selling the service. Then they, then they make money by selling the albums. Sometimes they make yep. more money on albums than they did shooting the wedding. And videography yeah. doesn't have something similar like that. That's right. We don't have albums to sell. We can sell uh, you know, DVDs or photo books or something like that. 
um, photo flash drive, all that stuff. But you can't sell $5,000 worth of DVDs. I have a friend that uh, actually works with me at, at my corporate job, and uh, she started doing wedding photography about a year or two ago, got really good, started really marketing in herself, and she's making more money doing that than she is her full-time job. And this is a, you know, she has a doctorate in physical therapy, you know, so she's a really, you know, high-end professional, but started loving her hobby. And yeah, she does exactly what you were saying. After she's done editing, has the couple come over, she has some kind of example, canvas prints, book prints, all the photo albums and stuff like that. And they buy it and, they, and she makes a ton more money after the event is over. Mm -hmm. okay. Really smart. You can't, you can't really complain about that. If you want that money, you can do what Ray Roman does and be the photographer also. Yeah. You know who cannot sure. do that to video? Photographers can't really do that to video. No. Because <laughs> I'm not going to say photography is easier, but photographer hiring a photographer uh, is simpler than hiring a videographer. Yes. Because you can get a very clear understanding of what somebody's work is like by seeing their albums. Um, yes. I don't know how to say that, but if you want that photo work too, do yourself a favor and say, we do photography as well. Yeah. And then do the photography as well. I would love though, to have a partner. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I would love to have a partner one day that that you know I can do the photo, or then they can do the video, or vice versa, mm -hmm. whatever. A kind of a one stop shop for everything. That that's not a not a bad idea if I ever wanted to get back into that game. Yeah, team up with your photographers. I mean, for corporate work, I certainly don't hire somebody else. I'm like, yeah, we do photo, we do video, we'll take it all, yeah. <laughs> pass it on. Yeah. Um, yeah, but you have to be friends with your photographers. You certainly do. Absolutely. Because absolutely, they don't want to hire somebody they don't like. They want to hire somebody they do like, and they're probably yeah. going to be your number one source of leads. Your photographers. Absolutely, I've been recommended uh, by uh, photographers as well. I mean, they're, they're another. They they're really well connected to different venues, and then the couple will say, "Oh, we're so happy that you're going to be our photographer. Do you happen to know of any videographers?" And then they boom, they're on top of your mind. Hey, yeah. this guy was really great to work with because they want to have someone there that they worked well with. Mm -hmm. You know, and it doesn't. They don't want negatively impact their job or their photos. Right. And yes. I do say you can you can operate in any manner that you would like to operate as a wedding videographer, but you have to understand a few things like if you're showing up in this is not to disparage anybody's dress style, but if you show up in jeans, a t-shirt, a ball cap, and tennis shoes, the photographer is <laughs> not going to like that for a couple of reasons. Right. Because a lot of people will confuse the videographer and the photographer from being on the same team. Or coming yep. from the same company. So now, if you dress like a bum, the photographer looks bad because of it. Absolutely. In addition to, it's incredibly difficult to market yourself as high-end if you show up in a jeans, t-shirt, and ball cap. And there's people, yeah, there's people the who do it. There's people who do it. Of course, you can make anything work. But you sure. just have to consider how you present yourself on a wedding day, not only to the couple, but to the other vendors that are present. Yeah. Go, going back to what you said, we were talking about cameras earlier. I, I, re I remember the moment whenever I started realizing, and even though I was, you know, pretty young at the time, that consumer, prosumer level cameras were starting to hit a different level. And I think it was the 5D Mark II or three 
that Philip Bloom used to, at Skywalker Ranch and did a time lapse of the entire. I don't know if you ever saw that video. Sure. I'm sure it's on his his Vimeo. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that's that's unbelievable that he did that with a camera I can just go to the store and buy right now. Yeah. Yeah, that's insane. So, and a lot of people have done that with the uh, 5D Mark II. So he did that, and then he also got to do some DP work with Red Tails, a Lucasfilm movie. Okay. Um, and then also Shane Hurlbut, who shot, um, geez, no, the name escapes me. He's, he shot that Navy SEAL movie with a 5D Mark II. And that was even before... Active Valor? Active Valor, absolutely. That was even before the 5D Mark II shot 24 frames a second. He shot it all in 30 frames a second and had to... Really? I didn't realize that. You know, do some 3-2 pull-down work to make it look right. Um, yeah. So he's making, you know, million-dollar movies with a camera that you can buy right now for probably six or 700 bucks. And people are right. still, where's my where's my Sony A7S III? Like, oh, God. <laughs> if you buy the camera, it's not going to make your work better. It's not right. going to suddenly give you more money. Yeah. if, if, if you're, Because your lighting is still crap and your, maybe if, your audio is still crap. If what sets you apart is the gear you own, it's, you're just not long for this industry. Yeah. You're just I hate be, to break it to you. You're just going to be not making money and having really expensive gear. Well, if your style is shoot everything in slow motion with a gimbal, you cannot charge a bunch of money for that because everybody can shoot slow motion with a gimbal. So yep. somebody, you're like, well, I want to charge 2000 And this guy over here who just started and wants to charge 1000 and it looks 90% the same because it's about the gear, you're going to get undercut every single time. Yep. And that, I I did definitely did that on a lot of my wedding films because I didn't know I didn't I didn't know yet how to tell the story of the couple with out yeah. doing so I'm like here's a recap of your day but yeah. I, if I do more in the future I want it to be more of the couple themselves hopefully have time with them maybe beforehand at the rehearsal dinner um, all those kind of things and really paint the picture of who they are as people. Yeah, and um, I think that's what really sets photographers uh, away from videographers. Photographers, especially because there's more women photographers than than men, but there's a lot yep. more men videographers than women. And yep. I think the uh, the real reason that is is because guys tend to gravitate towards gear and equipment, which yep. is what videography is like, and girls tend to gravitate towards uh, people and emotions. And which is uh, why there's plenty of working photographers making eight, ten thousand dollars shooting with five D Mark threes or six Ds. Or it's not about yep. the gear; it's about their skill level and how well they connect with a couple. And yeah, um, that's why there's a certain point where you're not going to be able to charge more for your wedding videos until you start getting good at becoming a people person. Yep. Yep. That's a big part of the business that people don't think about. Luxury wedding videography is going to come from your skills interpersonally, not from your skills with a camera. Yep. Absolutely. It's the secret yeah, actually, nobody tells anybody. That's the secret. There's a girl in town in Jacksonville, and she, I, I've shot with her twice, I think, on weddings. And she shows up with like an entry level Nikon from 2015. Mm-hmm. And the, and she's one of the the most famous like Jacksonville wedding photographers. And I and that at first that kind of sh- 
you know, threw me a little bit because it's not full frame or anything like that. So I was like, how does she get what she gets? But I mean, she just makes it work. And she, I guess she just doesn't value having the gear too much. I mean, one camera. She's just walking around with one camera. Yeah, it's not about that. Which is why videographers who are struggling um, tend to come online and start being a-holes to people. Because yep. they think that there's something unfair about it. They're like, I got this best gear and I do this and that and this. Why is this person making so much more money? And yeah. they're quote unquote inferior to what I do. It's just fundamental misunderstanding of what gets them expensive gigs or luxury gigs. Uh, Absolutely. It's interpersonal skills. And you are telling everybody on the internet that you lack those interpersonal skills when you're coming online uh, and just being mean to everybody. It doesn't work Especially that way. for those like the higher end stuff, like if that couple isn't going to get a feeling that, you know, they're going to be able to trust you with their story and that you're, they're going to pay you all this large sum of money. I mean, it's kind of insane to me that, uh, people don't realize that it's, it's not just about the look of your films and the look of your work, but it's really, who are you as a person? Are you a good people person? Are you good at connecting with people and communicating? Communication is another big one that a lot of people drop. Uh, that's a that's a big thing for me. I've always strived to be, you know, over a bit of an over communicator. That way, you know, nothing can ever get misconstrued. But um, there's a lot of stuff that's outside of the composition, lighting, audio, gear, all those things that and honestly, I guess that's that's just tips for business in general is are you a good person to deal with? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's not necessarily how well you interact with the couple. It's how well you interact with the other vendors. Yes. No, nobody's going to want to refer you and they might actively discourage people from hiring you if you're a yep. douchebag and people don't yes. seem to really understand how that works. But that yep. that affects your business more than anything else will. Absolutely. If, if no one wants to work with you, um, you're not going to get gigs. There's exceptions yeah. to the rules, obviously. If you're the best 10%, uh, I would say if you're, if you're the best 10 people in the world at what you do, you can get around that. But if you're not, yep. then you're not going to get around that. So, for instance, Michael Bay is notoriously terrible to work with on set. But he's the best at what he does for summer blockbuster action movies. So he doesn't right. have to worry about what other people think of him. Who else is going to make Transformers? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He makes people money, so they'll hire him just for that. And unfortunately, people don't hire a wedding videographer. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're all they're all Michael Bay esque. Uh, they're just uh, three hour long movie trailers. In the end, it was the the was the it was with Ryan Reynolds, I think. Um, isn't that the, it was? I think it was Michael Bay. Oh, Six Underground. Six Underground. Oh, yeah. yeah, I got like halfway through and I just never finished it. Yeah, yeah, it depends. Uh, I I love Michael Bay. Um, because he's an art tour in the end. You can tell what's a Michael Bay movie. And there's a lot of people who rip off his style. Uh, and some are good at it and some are really bad at it. Yep. Um, I, I enjoyed that movie. He's the type of guy who wants to get on set, get everything done. Uh, no, no sitting around, wasting time. He's very, let's go, let's go, let's go. And that's yep. what makes him successful. He creates beautiful images, uh, beautiful montages, exceptional camera work, really dynamic-looking images. Um, he's a little, he's a little shy on character building or story, but yeah, that's absolutely. his style. 
So you got um you got in the R5s, right? How 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 many do you have? Uh, well, I've got three. Patrick has one. So this last wedding we shot with four of them, and then two Wendy's. So what was it like? What was it like shooting a wedding with the R5? Any any overheating stuff that everyone keeps talking about? Any yeah, you're, you're always going to have overheating issues if you rely exclusively on shooting in slow motion or shooting in the oversampled rate. But I never right. intended on using it for that anyhow, so it's not really an issue. It does become a tad bit frustrating when uh, you can't shoot 60p if you want to. And the only time, I mean, it doesn't bother me because I just switched to a different camera body. If I mine overheats, so not really a problem, no. But I love shooting with a camera. You can shoot handheld um, most of the day if you want to. The low really light stable. performance is fantastic, um, and the ability to put it on turbo mode and shoot 120 frames 4K is great. Yeah, uh, I got these cameras because I love how Canon works, how Canon looks, um, and I take a lot of photos. I also have yeah. an A7S III reserved in case I uh, really want to get into that low light game, but I don't think it's usable as a photo camera at all. Um, I'm confident that Sony is going to relax the recovery time overheating stuff because it's far too aggressive on how long it takes for the camera to recover. Far too aggressive, and it's you mean Canon? Yeah, it's artificial. They um, they clearly yeah. have artificial limitation. That's so what, it's like a software limit. Oh, of course, yeah. The camera. I mean, you can put it in AC for an hour and still not have the full capability to shoot with it. That's ridiculous. Yeah, that's the thing that as those reviews were coming out, I was like, okay, you could be shooting photos with it, and then now need to start using it for video, and you. You can't because those photos you were taking was kind of eating up that that life meter that you have of of overheating time. Yeah, and that's which not seems that's crazy. not true. You can always shoot video with it. You just can't shoot slow motion video with it if it overheats. Yeah. So okay, I don't shoot a lot of slow motion, so it doesn't bother me. Yeah, uh, but it's still. I have too to get aggressive. my hands on one. Yeah, I'd like to try it out. The um, the image quality compared to the 1DX Mark III or the 1DX Mark II, it's not as good of image quality if you're shooting in standard 4K. Interesting. Uh, well, it's a 45 megapixel and it's got to do some uh, little, little bit of maneuvering to get it into the uh, 4K realm, which is you yep. know, 8, 8, 9 megapixels. So that's a right. lot of information you're throwing away. Yep. So. I understand why you're going to get a little bit more weird looking digital artifacting if you're shooting full frame in slow motion. Sure. Um, so if you put it in crop mode, it gets rid of that, but you're only going to notice that if you're shooting wide angle anyways. So every camera I, uh, has caveats. Uh, I'm, oh, for sure. I'm, I'm annoyed by the recovery time on the R5, but... People are whiny crybabies if they say they can't use it professionally. Because yeah, don't shoot in slow motion for God's sakes. <laughs> well, and it's like no, know, know what you're getting. I mean, if if you're only gonna have one, if like if you're like a, a videographer that's just starting out and you're like, okay, I've been using a 
SL2 or whatever for years and I'm saving up and saving up and I'm going to get the R5, just know the limitations of that. Maybe that's not the right camera for you at this current time um, until maybe they fix some of that software limitation stuff or whatever. Yeah, I always find it wild. People are like, oh, I'm going to buy Canon's most expensive mirrorless camera for my second camera. I'm like, why? Unless you're pulling yeah. down $5,000 a gig, you do not need to be spending that much money on a camera. Right. You don't have to have the latest, greatest, most advanced camera to come out in, unless you're pulling down some serious cash. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a weird it, mentality. It's it's interesting the the way that Canon chose to market that camera because they, they really go did go heavy on the video side of it. But with like, and apparently it's a fantastic photo camera as well. But it, so it feels like they kind of glossed over that in the marketing. And it could be partly that I follow mostly, you know, more yeah, video. I think it's, I think it's probably that. Because I was disappointed. I'm like, why is everybody that's uh, an influencer, a photographer for this camera? Where are the video people with this camera? <laughs> yeah. Like, How come you're not showing off the video features? Because I gave it yeah. to, I gave it to Peter McKinnon, and. I don't even know who else they gave it to. I think they might have given it to uh, Potato Jet. Yep, Potato um, Jet, Maddie Hapoya, I think had it, and a lot like DP Review and a lot of a lot of those kind of guys that did. And I, I like DP Review a lot because they do photo and video in their yeah. reviews in the same video. Uh, so they give you a kind of a, their take on it from both sides, but uh, it is interesting. And now, very soon, we're going to start getting R5 versus A7S3 all over yeah, the place. And I just think people are just bored and want to do it. That, I mean, the R5 is easily the best photo camera I've ever used, and I've had sure. dozens and dozens. It is such a good photo camera. It's not even fair. Yeah. I mean, 20 frames per second and 45 megapixel with unbeatable you can't possibly miss autofocus that is yeah. nuts yeah with the evf would, and the flip out screen and i would love to try that with because i have the a7r4 um which i love for for photos but um i would love to try it with a especially like media that can write faster than mm -hmm. sd cards because that's another thing like the, it'll buffer you know after a certain i mean I, it's a lot of photos to be honest but mm -hmm. If you just did a big burst, you got to wait a while for that to write to the card. But the R5 has was like CF Express or 2.0 or whatever, and so it's writing really quickly. Oh yeah, that, the card gets hot, man. <laughs> and yeah, uh, I also I have the uh, the 5D SRs, which are 52 megapixels. I use those for time lapses. Yeah. And the reason I got the R5, so I was like, well, it basically makes those redundant. I don't even need those anymore. Right. Um, so that's two less cameras I have to drag around if I want to do really fantastic photo work, high resolution photo work. So again, it's what? making it simpler for me. That's why I got them. What lenses are you running with on uh, like events and weddings and corporate uh, stuff? They're almost all adapted. Now I'm such a huge fan of just the 24 to 105 lens for weddings because yep. it's outrageously it's versatile outrageously versatile and when you film when you zoomed into 105 this the bokeh on it is just spectacular and it's yep. image stabilized but i love it so that that one's an rf lens i also have the 35 millimeter rf everything else is adapted because it's got uh polarizer adapters or nd adapters and that's sweet to have that option for corporate yeah. work those nd filters are the terrific terrific and I don't use yeah. ND filters for weddings. I don't care. I love it when people are like, why are you shooting at that shutter speed? 
because I don't yeah. care. I don't care. I really have no. I don't care. Not even a tiny. Yeah, bit. and people don't even notice. The only people that notice are new videographers who want something to feel smart about. Right. Sorry, right. that's how I feel. Because the yeah. most expensive yeah, no. videographers in the world, um, they don't care unless they have the option to do it. So certain styles, right. like 31 films, I mean, they go above and beyond. They use like ProMist filters on theirs. Wow. But then you can have Ray Roman, who never uses ND, and he's still making, you know, thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 on certain weddings. It's like, give me a break. I'm making $40,000 um, $40, on a wedding video without NDs. <laughs> I think it's probably okay if I don't use NDs. It's, it's probably okay. I, I was just uh, in Wyoming. I saw that you were recently in Yellowstone. I've been there twice, and it's uh, I absolutely love it up there. But I was up there, and I have the Peter McKinnon uh, ND filter. And, you know, I went all the way maxed out, and I got green cast all over my image. Mm. And, I, and I didn't think that that – I had never noticed it before. Maybe I haven't used it full out. I think I was at 8. And – I, it was kind of kind of surprising for such expensive of a ND filter. It's always going to be that way. Um, I was having... With a variable. I was having Julian film some behind the scenes for me when I first got the R5. And then we got the footage back. I was like, oh my God, you're using an ND filter, aren't you? Because everything was <laughs> green. I was like, this yep. is terrible. Yeah. Don't use the... Yeah. It's easily fixed. Oh, you guys don't know how easy it is to fix compared to 10 years ago. You just take the dropper and go bloop, and it's fixed. Yeah. So it's not really a problem. But I'd rather not have green images. Now, the Canon ND filters, they push a very distinct blue cast when you max out the variable ND. So just don't max it out. Are you talking about on the like the new R fives or the RF system where you kind of drop it in? How does that work? I haven't seen that in motion yet in action. Mm, I don't have any in here, but yeah, it's just a little little dial on the side that you dial up or down. It works great. Works super great. Is it something you put in? But you put it in between the sensor and the lens. So yeah, it's the adapter to go from RF mount to EF lens. Okay. So yeah, it goes right between, okay. uh, which is terrific because no matter which lens you put on it, it's just one size filter. Yeah. So you don't have to have Beautiful. a thousand. Like I've got ND filters. Oh, I've got them up the wazoo. These are the ones I don't yeah. use very much, but um, you know I have them. They just tend to sit here and do nothing. <laughs> I've got a bunch of cheaper ones in a in my in a storage over here, but I if I ever need one, I bust out the Peter McKinnon one. But typically, I agree with you with just bump your shutter speed and just yeah. keep shooting. And then you got to get adapters to fit on, like this eighty two or the seventy seven. Yeah, step up rings. I'm like, well, yep. don't want to do that. Yeah. So no. for weddings, it's a huge pain in the butt. Don't want to deal with it because I go inside and outside way too often to be pulling lens filters on. Uh, for corporate work, it's much easier because you get more time to set up your shot. So, uh, yes for corporate work, no for weddings. Yeah, no need. It's to. funny how as I shot more and more weddings, and I, you know, I was learning more and more, the less gear that I was bringing with me to weddings, because I, I started knowing what I needed, and I wasn't just freaking pulling around just all this gear that I thought I would need, but I just don't. Oh, yeah, I still love to drag gear that I don't need to every event that I do. <laughs> I just like to. Like light stands and C stands and, you know. Yeah, I was telling I, uh, somebody, I was like, yeah, man, I drag, I drag a 15-foot crane to the Dominican Republic. 
uh, <laughs> along with seven other cameras for that same shoot. Wow. That was before, a lot of gear. Was before drones were a thing. <laughs> but yeah. I was getting shots nobody else could get. So Yeah, that's true. That's if, true. I love... Do you do a lot of drone-specific work, too, or do you just implement it in your films? Oh, yeah. I've been dry, flying drones for seven years. I've had... I don't know, 10 or 15 different kinds. Yeah. And that's the same thing with drones. I'm like, well, um, now they're getting to a point where every drone looks fantastic, but yep. there is a point they in there when everyone's like, oh, the Mavic Pro, Mavic Pro. I bought the Mavic Pro. It is the ugliest footage I've ever seen in my life. So, well, the I Mavic, take that the, back. the original Mavic Pro? Yes. Um, the Phantom 3. And the Phantom 4 and the Phantom 4 Advanced also had disgusting, terrible, I never want to use this style footage. It wasn't until the Phantom 4 Pro came out that I was like, ah, finally some terrific looking footage. Yeah. And the Mavic came out, I was like, oh, you're back to that awful, disgusting footage. And then the Mavic Pro 2 came out and I was like, ah, oh, it's so beautiful again. Yeah. Yeah, and then kind of going back to like what we were talking about earlier, I got the Mavic 2 Pro, you know, I got my, my license and everything like that, and the first job I got, I bid on, you know, I was making $9,000 for one job for a golf course, um, you know, country club, oh, uh, just given, it, you know, it's like, it's like, and it was the simplest job I've ever done, so it's just like, we, and I just bought that thing, I think I got it on Amazon or Best Buy, you know, consumer mm -hmm consumer kind of thing but i you know obviously i know what i'm doing and all that but um you know we live in crazy times right now yeah and i would say people should not buy a drone unless they have their fundamentals of composition figured out in advance um yeah there's a lot of people yep. fly it fly a drone and like ooh, sweet looking parking lot yeah why do you even like have a drone <laughs> <laughs> like it's an RC car in the sky. It's not. It's not like that. You got to know what. It, I take a lot of the same principles that of whenever I'm filming uh, with a camera in my hand, and I apply that in the sky as much as possible. It should be exactly the same. Don't fly yeah. around arbitrarily shooting stuff because it, it looks neat because it's a drone. It's the same stuff you do with your gimbal. Just because it's a gimbal doesn't make it make it a neat shot. So right, right. If you're just starting out, just don't buy a gimbal. Just get a monopod or handheld until you get used to composing a good shot. Otherwise, you're just yeah. muddy in the waters with a bunch of gear you don't need, and it's not adding yeah. any value. If you wanna, if you wanna make your learning curve a lot steeper. If you don't know how to get good composition on a tripod or a monopod, try now moving while you're filming and you're going to be yeah. all over the place. I would yeah. say buy a good microphone or a good light before you buy a gimbal. Yeah. Because those skills will make you way more money than if right. you have a gimbal shot. Because people can get a gimbal on their cell phone, one of those, one of those tiny DJI mobile gimbals. And yep. be out shooting you for $99. No, I used to have one of those, yeah. Um, so, yeah, don't buy a gimbal first. Buy, uh, buy some lights or a microphone first. That'll make you way more money. We were talking about Joe Rogan earlier. How, what's the buzz around Austin that he's moving there? You know, I heard he was moving to Texas. Didn't know he was moving to Austin. So, yeah. I was like, Austin would be a good city for him. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I I don't know if it's like right in Austin or somewhere near, but if, I I follow him on Instagram and he was posting like you know they're building out his studio and all that. I mean he's he's coming to Austin. He's leaving leaving L.A. A lot of people are leaving California because just it's not run super efficiently politically. It's costing a lot of entrepreneurs a lot of money. Nobody likes to get taxed out of business. <laughs> so yeah, they like. Tell you what, I'm going to move to... That's like Elon Musk. He's like, you know what? I'm leaving California. I've got to run a business. You can't keep me shut. Yeah. Because, yeah. uh... Whatever. So, Elon Musk is probably going to be moving in right next door to Joe Rogan. I know. Yeah, well, I mean, it's interesting. Like, you look at California and, like, they have so much debt, but they have such crazy taxes on all of these people. They have a super wealthy people that live in that state. And they have some of the worst debt in the country. And it's just, like you said, it just seems to be always run very poorly uh, year after year. So people yeah. are tired of it and they're leaving. Yeah, it's, uh, hopefully if anything happens with uh, 2020 and the way it is, people will figure out ways to be more efficient with uh, just their lives in general, hopefully. Yeah. Because um, we've been pretty fortunate to be living in a lot of excess and a lot of, a lot of wealth. And now it's like, do I really need to buy a ten thousand dollar camera? Right. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that, that's exactly my. I was almost about to get the FX nine, and then I was like, ten. It's eleven grand, and then all the stuff I would need for it, batteries and cards. I'm looking at fifteen, sixteen. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I'll just wait. And I got the R four, and then uh, the S three came out, so I'll have that. So uh, I think I'm going to leave my A seven three. That's what I'm using as my webcam here, and my what I use on Twitch and stuff like that. So I think I'm just going to leave it right here on my desk. Yeah, you should um, have people analyze the focus tracking on that Sony compared to the Canon. <laughs> yeah, I know. Seems I'm actually perfect here. Is it, is it, it, look, it, does it look good on mine? It's capturing your brim. It keeps focusing on your brim. I know, no, <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you noticed that because for me, I put the focusing point right here and it keeps hitting the brim of my hat. It's driving me nuts. I don't understand it. Watch I'll this walk. Thing. I'll walk. I'll I walk away, and it'll. I can, I yeah, can you're, turn my head around. It still knows where my head is. Yeah, yeah, you're. That's good. <laughs> I I had the R4 up there, and it didn't do that because it has eye eye autofocus in video. Yeah. But the the A7 III does not have that. So, but yeah, I don't understand why it keeps catching my brim instead of my eyes. It's been driving me crazy. It's funny <laughs> you notice that. <laughs> of course, it would be another videographer that notices that. Yeah, nobody. Yeah, nobody's gonna care. Most people that listen to long form podcast, video or otherwise, like Joe Rogan, like I'll put Joe Rogan on in the background and listen to him yapping. Yep. I don't need to. Yep. I don't need to see his face. <laughs> I rarely watch it. I, I listen on uh, on pod podcast for sure. Yeah, podcasts are interesting. Think about podcasts. A lot of podcasts. They now it seems like you have to choose sides. And the reason I like Joe Rogan is he's very good about not choosing sides. There's only a couple of things that he's really passionate about. Um, one, I would say he's probably pretty passionate about legalizing something like marijuana. Yeah. Or having people experience um, what hallucinogenic drugs do. <laughs> Just, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the second yeah. thing is uh, um, having transgenders in sports. He's passionate about that. There's no two he ways is. about that. 
Yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah, he has. But most things he rides the line on. And, you know, he's he gets hit by vegans and all kinds of stuff all the time. But he doesn't care. He doesn't answer to anyone. He, you know, he's his own business. I mean, so if sponsors want to pull out, screw him. He doesn't care. Yeah. I don't know if that's happened. but And for the most you know. part, he remains judgment-free. So if you say... Yeah. Yeah, I saw a UFO in my backyard. He'd be like, really? What does it look like? <laughs> As opposed to saying, what are you nuts? You're a, what are you nuts? Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. And, and I was listening to a podcast today, and they made some comments that were very divisive. And I was like, I've been listening to this podcast for a long time. And I'm like, you guys are right now splitting your audience in half and making someone who believes different than you feel feel like... I don't know, feel bad for, for listening to you now, you know, it's like, so I had to like kind of check myself, like other people are allowed to think whatever they want to think. I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. But it's just, it's just frustrating whenever people are, um, you know, I don't know, they're trying to be offensive because they think that everyone agrees with them, but really they don't. Yeah. I don't know how it's come to this, but, um, I mean, you can see it coming to that as one side diverges this way, the other side has to diverge in kind so that they yep. can fight as hard and just making the country divide straight in half where there's no yep. there's no moderate anymore it's like if there was no. any moderate in the election right now they would win easily but they I made know. it so that moderates couldn't even get into the race <laughs> Each each side kind of gets a little more extreme, and then it, yeah, like you said, it's like making each side kind of continue going the opposite way instead of hey, let's find ways to you know communicate better and find common ground and things like that. But that's just not happening. And then the media is making it even worse with just constant badgering of truth. Uh, yeah. You know, it's getting crazy. Well, the media has done it because they don't want to alienate their audience. So if right. CNN has a very left-leaning audience, all their news has to be left-leaning or they're going to lose their money. Yeah. And same thing with Fox. If Fox yeah. says something that is more towards center, they're going to lose viewers and lose money. And I yeah. think they're all scrambling because the internet has changed everything. Everything. Because you can have all of something their viewerships like, are down. Uh, you can have something like The Young Turks or Ben Shapiro who are making way more money or um, Steven Crowder lives in Austin and he has way more reach than do these major news networks. Oh, absolutely. And so every they're scrambling to try to keep their ad revenue coming in. So they couldn't yep. possibly, that means they spin every story to be uh, basically rage bait. They have to make everybody angry to keep everyone engaged. That's so right. Anything yeah, it, that happens, they have to make people mad. I use the example of living here in Florida about hurricanes is uh, with like right now with the pandemic and, and politics and, and uh, with a lot of the racial divide and stuff going on in the country. The hurricane, it's coming and we keep watching the news because we need to know what the next update is. We're scared. What's the next thing? Is it turning? Is it coming straight for us? What do I do? It's the same thing with all these other things that keep happening. The more in fear that they can keep us, the more engaged we're going to have to be to keep watching to find out what's the next thing. Oh, and, yeah. you know, it's mm -hmm. it, they sell fear. That, and, and people don't realize it's all about money. The more eyeballs, the more ad dollars they can charge. It's all about money. It always has been. Yeah, which is where all the inconsistencies come to light. Um, we're like, no, we're supposed to keep people in fear about COVID. 
But we also have to keep them enraged about police brutality. And then right. they, it meets in the middle where people are protesting and you can't have it both ways. And it creates a lot of... Yeah. You start to see holes in, in the media's narrative when things like that happen. I'm like, which, yeah, way, is, was a which lot way is it going to be? Hey, they shouldn't have Trump rallies, but then there's the rioting and protests is okay, but they're still gathering in groups. And it's really kind of strange. It's like they, they're just showing their cards all the time. Yeah. And hopefully people get sick of that eventually and it self-corrects back to the middle. Well, getting real philosophical I think, here. I know. I think we've solved all the problems. So I think this is a good spot to end. I, I appreciate you coming on, Adam. I, I, I know we've kind of uh, gone back and forth sometimes on the full-time filmmaker and it's fun to kind of troll in the full-time filmmaker uh, group a little bit. And, but it's, it's a good group hanging out in there. And, oh, you know. I love that group. Uh, I, like, yeah. I like poking the bear sometimes. Yeah, uh, me too. <laughs> in, the, in the end, it's um, just take responsibility for your own life. Um, there's yep. a lot of crazy things going on in the world, but it's not as complicated as you think. Uh, if yeah. you want to make a career out of making films, you can certainly do it. Just keep keep track of what you're doing on a daily basis. Uh, yeah. Is it moving you closer or further away from your goal? Absolutely. If you even have goals. All right, guys. Right now, if there's one takeaway from this episode... <laughs> Write goals for yourself before the end of 2020. Make yes. them measurable, actionable, and achievable, realistic. Achievable, yeah. Ferrari, getting buy Ferrari is not an achievable. I mean, it's it's a goal, <laughs> but it's not a, how are you going to measure that? And, you know. Yeah, if you've made $10,000 in the first seven months of this year, you can't say you're going to make a million dollars by the end. It has to be right. a realistic goal. But if you start keeping track of what it is that you're doing, you can much more easily see where you're going to go. Uh, Absolutely. An ex example of that is, if I were to drop you off in the middle of a desert and gave you a map on how to get out of that desert, it would be useless to you unless you knew exactly where in that desert you were. Right. So figure out what you've accomplished so far to determine where you are, and then figure out what steps you need to take to get you to where you want to go. Absolutely. If you don't have clear, concise, well-written, measurable, timely goals written down right now, the odds of you being successful are way smaller than they could be. So if there's anything that you can do right now, make a list of goals, break them down by week, month, all the way to the end of the year. You'll be surprised at how many you accomplish if you have them Absolutely. Writ written down. Absolutely. Some, there's something about writing things down. Well, so you have a, a clear understanding of what you need to do to achieve that goal. If you don't have a yeah. goal, you're just uh, wandering around, do a little bit here, a little bit there. Brian Tracy always says it like this. He says, a hunter goes out into the woods and goes, bam, 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 bam. Well, I sure hope something runs into that. <laughs> no, you need to yeah. figure out what you're aiming at and then fire the gun. Right. Yeah. And my wife and I like writing on our bathroom uh, mirror with uh, like a dry erase board, like goals and different things. And it's always in front of our face. You know, if it if you write it on a Word document or something like that, it gets hidden away in a folder on your computer and, you, it's, you know, you don't keep looking at it. But there's something about physically writing things out and having it in front of you that that keeps you moving towards it a little bit better. Mm -hmm. In addition to that is don't share your goal with everybody because it's actually a demotivator. 
And people love to do that on the forums. I'm going to buy this new camera in the next few weeks. What should I get? Uh, doing that actually demotivates you. Don't tell anybody what your goal is unless your goal is to stop doing something. If your goal is to stop smoking, tell everybody because they'll support yeah. you. Yeah. If your goal is to uh, buy a new camera, don't tell anybody. <laughs> Keep it to yourself <laughs> until you yeah. buy it because people will, people will uh, work against you to get that goal. Yeah. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate you coming on the Create More podcast with me and uh, appreciate your time. So what are you going to create more in addition to this podcast? What's, uh, I hope, what's something I we hope can look forward to seeing? A successful Twitch stream would be would be great. What what my goal is, and I don't know what it is with Twitch, but you know, I've been a gamer for a long time. I would love to find people in coming in my chat when I'm streaming and kind of like what we're doing right now. We're talking about gear and philosophical things about photo, video, and stuff like that. Cause I know there's a lot of photo video people like us that also play games and stuff like that. And, you know, whenever we're not working hard on our businesses and stuff. But I mean I would love for that to happen. It's probably going to be a niche thing, but uh, I thought that it would be a, a good goal, you know, at least to, to try something. And I love watching Twitch, so why and not? What would I have to know about that Twitch stream in order to share it with people? What, what do I uh, need to know about to my people? About my Twitch? Just, mm -hmm. uh, it's twitch.tv slash isotaco. Isotaco is my, my name on there. Iso for cameras and then tacos for my Tacoma. So I just kind of put them together. Um, not the best name, but it is what it is. <laughs> uh, but I can, I can send it to you on uh, Facebook. That'd be great. Messenger. I'm happy to yeah. share, share everything you got. I think these types of, uh, content things are going to be more prevalent over the coming years, especially with the, uh, social isolation. And education yeah. is going to be shifting more towards self-created content. And yeah, I would love to share it with other people. Hey, I appreciate that. I, I would love that. Well, thanks for inviting me on. And if I can do anything for you, just let me know how I can help.